Church podcast. This is part six of our series, What Are You Building With Your Life? with a message entitled, How to Make the Most of Your Opportunities with Pastor Nelson Jones. Amazing thing, opportunity, and that's going to be our subject today. What are you building with your life is the series. Opportunity is the word that we all kind of love. How many here have ever missed a good opportunity in life? How many here right now just don't even want to raise their hands on that because there's been too many? (laughs) Opportunities come our way, and often we don't spot the value of them, the potentials of them, and what it could be. And a lot of times, the older that you get, um, the less willing you can be to take opportunities because you feel like you've kind of missed the road, you've missed the gate, you've missed the journey. I want to address this subject because life has a way of robbing us from the path of opportunity. Opportunity is really, really important in life. I think one of the most tragic stories told in the Bible is found in the New Testament in an exchange with Jesus. Jesus is uh, just about his business one day and a rich young man comes up to him and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Big question, big question. First off, let's just break this guy down a little bit. He's rich, he's young, and you know, that's not bad so far, right? So any girls available for that guy? Okay, rich, young, and he's coming to Christ with a deep sense of something greater needed in life. He really has this thirst that's not going away. That He has to have this motivation because you see, what would motivate him to ask that kind of question in the beginning? Well, in a a sense, he had a checklist in life and he had already gotten a lot of what he wanted, but he knew it wasn't enough. So Jesus answered the question in phases. The first phase of his answer went this way. Look, here's what you need to do. Go and live the commandments. Live the commandments. Well, this young guy said, I have lived the ones. And Jesus, he said, which commandments? Jesus listed some. And the guy said, I have lived these since I was young. To which uh, he said, what else do I lack? Isn't it interesting? He's not just rich and young, but this guy's really an upstanding citizen. He lives very well. His choices are strong. His character would be impeccable in what he does or in the businesses that he was involved in. And yet he knows he lacks something. And so he says, what more do I lack? What's missing here? What am I missing? That's a great question to set up opportunity thinking. What am I missing? What is the opportunity in your relationship right now that you're missing? What are you missing? What are you missing right now when it comes to your economics? What are you missing in that opportunity? I remember when Linda and I were down in, I was taking uh, post post-graduate uh, education down in Vancouver. And uh, we went down to place right on the water, a uh, very famous place in Vancouver, and they had just started this development of these great big condos. And so we just thought, wow, let's just go and you know, check it out and see, see what it's like. And so we went up to the very top one, like the very top one. And at that time, that condo, which was right at the top, of this beautiful view over the entire harbor. And uh, the cost of it was about 120,000. 
Do you want to know what it is today? Do I have a steal of a deal for you? You might have to just come up with millions. How many opportunities have we missed? What are you missing? What are you not seeing? What do you lack yet? You see, and one of the greatest robbers of opportunity is the success you may have already have, the security that you're in right now, the comfort zone that you're in right now. You could be missing the best opportunities in your relationships because you're comfortable. You could be missing relationships with building new and great friendships. Why? Because you're comfortable. You could be, you could be a, a greater servant for God, but no, that's not going to happen because right now you're comfortable. And there's many reasons why we miss opportunities. We're going to talk about that a little bit today and look at a few scriptural examples of this. So this young guy, Jesus says to him, Okay, the guy asks, what, do I, what am I missing here? And Jesus says, he goes to the heart, not just this guy's ability with a strong will and upbringing to perform good things. He says, you go and sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Now listen to the opportunity. Then come follow me. Just imagine this moment in time. This is way above a condo in Vancouver for 100 grand. Just imagine this moment in time. Here you've got God in the flesh who is carrying out the beginning of the kingdom of God here on earth. And he calls him and says, I'm giving you an opportunity. You go, sell it, give it away, and come follow me. We don't have the young man recording a yes or a no. Here's what we have. The young man, it says, his countenance false. And he turns around and he sadly walks away. What are you missing? He found out why he had this gap why what he had achieved wasn't enough. He was clear about that. But he didn't have the capacity to respond to the greatest opportunity that was given him in his entire life. It hadn't been any business opportunity up to that time. It hadn't been that he could get that business at, this, at, that, at a good buy or that he could have this opportunity to acquire this. Or he, it wasn't the acquiring things before that that were his greatest opportunity. This was. Why do we miss that? What happens? Well, here's the biggest problem is a word called consecration. And I'm going to talk about that word a bit today. We tend to not quite understand that in our modern world. It's an old English word. But consecration is a really key thing. But before we do, Ephesians 5.16 says this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. We live in some pretty strenuous days when it comes to, uh, you know, evil. There are some pretty incredible things that have been happening in the world, and we all are very aware of it. Um, but here's what the response is. Make the most of every opportunity. Evil days present opportunity. Just reverse it. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, I want to announce coming up this uh, September, we're going to start it relatively early this year, we're going to enter another full church-wide campaign. 
And this is in response to some of the great challenges of today that Christians and churches and the Christian movement worldwide is going through. And what we want to do is elevate very much that our lives need to be very much Bible-centered, that the Word of God needs to be that which is at the base of our conduct and our thought and our strategies and the way that we live out our life. So we're going to have a 40 days in the Word campaign starting on September the 11th, both Sunday mornings and then right through to Wednesday nights, small groups, fill this auditorium. Everything goes. Children and youth are also involved. Church-wide, everything is going to be on this. We want to respond to the day. We want to equip for the day. And we want you to be strong in this day because there's opportunity for you. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. But look at this word consecrate. What you consecrate determines your opportunity. Go back to this young man. Jesus touched the passion. He touched his consecration, what he was passionate about. What was he passionate about? Well, by the exchange, it's not hard to figure out that he was really passionate about the comfort that he had in life, being rich and young. He was somebody, when Jesus confronted him about that, and he said, I want you to go and sell it and give it to the poor. That was the money. And then come follow me was really a quiet, really going to the guy's desire for meaning and purpose. Like, what am I missing? This is what you're missing. But you got to let go of this to have this. You can't consecrate both. Consecrate is something that means that it means dedicated to a sacred purpose. Do you know that every believer in Jesus Christ is to be consecrated? You are to live a consecrated life. And that means everything goes through the filter of consecration, being sacred, everything, what is sacred to you. Now today, instead, what we have driving people's sacredness is money, sexuality, we have so many things that want to trump God's word. But yet God is very plain. I want you dedicated to the sacred purpose that I have designed you for, called you to. This young man reaches that why in the road and we find out that his consecration cannot go with where he wants it to. He has a desire for it, meaning and purpose. But he can't go that way. He won't go that way. When we figure out what we're consecrated to, you can be consecrated to your own gifts. You can treat them as your sacred. My gifts are sacred. My freedom is sacred. My money is sacred. My sexuality is sacred. Anytime any of those things are in the lead of your list, you will sell your soul for them. Christian, I'm talking to you. It's easy for us to not consecrate, hold sacred our Lord and our Christian faith. I'm going to use an example from the Old Testament on this to teach us some things on this. And we're going to find the, in Judges 16, 20 to 21, the story of Samson. Most of us know the story of Samson. Have you ever noticed that Samson, whenever he's typified in any kind of movie production is always like this hulk of a guy 
Have you ever noticed that? Like, I mean, the guy's got like biceps that are bigger than most men's thighs, right? He's just got a chest that never ends. You know, by the way, when they get old, they droop, okay? I almost said I'm already in a C cup, but I shouldn't have said that. See, the fact is, is that what he's always pictured in this big hulk of a kind of a guy. And, and that's, that's just not reality. That's not reality. In fact, it, the Bible never refers to him being big and strong. It only refers to a supernatural gifting that God gave him. He may have looked like you. In fact, he may have been way weaker looking than you. Hi. Something I said? Nope, I'm okay. He may, he may have looked like just the, 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 the skinniest guy on the block. But it, doesn't, it wasn't the physical prowess of this man. It was the spiritual call. It was the power of God in him. God wasn't depending on him having big biceps. You could have had the biggest biceps in the world and the biggest chest in the world and gigantic limbs to stand on and you still could not even come close to accomplishing what he did. He wipes out a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. That is not the King James Version. That's ass, okay? He wipes out. I don't care what your biceps are. That doesn't happen. Anything that he accomplished in his life, he accomplished because there was a supernatural energy that God gave him for a specific purpose to be a judge over Israel that time. That meant deliverer, protector. And God used him to protect, but he had some incredibly great weaknesses. He had some consecration issues. It's interesting because actually in the Old Testament it's recorded that he is only one of two where in the Old Testament their birth is announced and they are called and anointed before birth. He is called to be a judge. And he is, the parents are told he must take the Nazarite vow. Nazarite vow basically is this. You don't drink wine And the other part of it is, not only do you not drink wine, but you gotta let your hair go. Like you don't ever shave. You don't ever cut your hair. You just, can you imagine seeing this guy? I mean, he'd look like a woolly mammoth or something, you know, I mean, just hair going, he's never had it cut. It would have been a pretty wild looking kind of character. This is, this is what was the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was meant to actually typify the total consecration of the life to the Lord. These were only pictures of it. They didn't, hair didn't give him strength, if you know this story. It was a picture of his strength. It wasn't that idea that, oh, lose the hair, then I don't have any strength because my hair had all the strength. It doesn't. It's that if he compromised this one overt thing in his life, then the vow has been broken. And in that vow, there would be pain that would come. See, there's a couple things in consecration that God works to bring about this consecration in our life. He wants your consecration to be based on this. That's what he wants. He wants you to have passion 
for what your life is all about. He wants you to treat it sacred, your relationship with Christ. He wants you to be passionate about it, and that's number one. Not just in words, because that really doesn't matter a whole lot, but in how you are filtering all the decisions and all of the steps of your life. He wants you to have that number one. That rich young guy didn't have that. He wanted what it could bring, which was incredible reward and meaning and purpose for his breathing on this planet and an eternal life that he would have a comfort and an assurance of. But he couldn't move there because he didn't have this passion. His passion was for money. His passion was for comfort. His passion for it was for his positioning. Instead, there's another thing that will come. If you don't have passion as a believer, then God is going to allow you to say, consecration is so important to me that I'm going to allow you to go through this and I'm going to use it in your life. It's a word that we don't like. Pain. When we hit pain, then we are more willing to take a look at the lineup of our life. What is to be in first place in this relationship that I have with my wife or my husband? The pain of it causes us to actually evaluate and look at things. But the deeper motivation you want to have is passion. But God will use pain. And in Samson's case, pain is what is used. This guy had really key weaknesses in that he would not consecrate himself, his life to the Lord. Not in the way that was needed. And so these things showed up. Now we're going to pick up a scripture, read it, that kind of getting close to the end of the story. And he's now with a woman who is set on uh, basically finding out what is considered his source of strength so that the Philistines can destroy him because they've tried every which way to do it and they can't do it. They've tried it every which way. So finally, Delilah with his head on her lap, going in, she, she, uh, he's gone into a sleep after she has pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and finally he said, if my hair gets cut, and I'll be just like any other normal man. So, they cut his hair. He's sleeping. They come in and the barber literally snips off, you know, the braids. All of that lifelong beautiful hair gone. She called out, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He wakes up with a start. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll escape just like the other times and shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him, put out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze chains, and he worked the grinding mill in the prison where the ox would normally be turning the grindstone. So is the outcome of pain. Many times why pain is the motivator is simply because of our consecration level. We're not understanding how important it is to treat as sacred the opportunities that we have as Christians 
to live lives that are not just exemplary to others, but incredibly building to ourselves and the family of God and our own personal families and how we can be a part of God's bigger work and bigger world. We treat the wrong things sacred. We treat things that are not sacred or meant to be sacred. Sacred is a key word. Here's what it means. Devoted exclusively to one's service or use or purpose. What is it that your energies go into, Christian? What is it that you're really dedicated to? What is it that you are devoted to? What is it that you treat as sacred? When we get clear about that, we can see whether God is, we are working in our consecration with passion or pain. God is gonna bring you pain. God wants you to have this kind of pain because you must treat him sacred, devoted. What is the peculiar danger of being a consecrated person? Well, the, you know, the locks may be shorn. As a Christian, you're gonna go through great testings and trials, and the enemy is gonna pay attention to you. He really wants to cut the hair. He wants to shave you. He wants to get your strength. He wants you in weakness. And he knows that it's the front end that counts, because if you start taking on opportunities out of a sacred consecration, you are going to make a lot of damage for his work. You are going to damage his work in your family, in your own life. You're going to damage his work in this world simply because you are carrying out a sacred trust. The locks can be cut. Consecration may be broken. It happens and it happens regularly. Consecration gets busted. We go through things and then we realize that, you know, maybe we're just serving the wrong thing. We choose this comfort over here rather than taking the risk. You know that that's the reason why many people miss opportunity? Because they repeatedly are just looking for the comfort. Once the comfort is there, they want to maintain that. That's where that rich young man was at. Here are some of the razors that Satan uses. Pride, that will cut your locks. Pride is something that I think we all understand. Pride has more about, here is what you know, I, have, I have accomplished. Nebuchadnezzar standing on his, on his palace of Babylon's roof and saying, look at this great Babylon which I have built. And God says, ooh, I'm gonna be taking your mental acuities from you for a season until you acknowledge that there's only one God. Find your right place. Pride is a funny thing. It doesn't come all at once. It's not something that just hits you. It's something that creeps. All of these razors, they just creep. It's a little bit at a time. It's one lock at a time. It's this kind of graduating shorning of your locks. That is just what pride is. Pride becomes something that is gonna kill God's work through you. It's see, pain isn't that God brings you necessarily all these things. It's that God no longer can just work through you. So if God can't work through you, 
and then what you have is your own fruit. You have your own results, your own wisdom, your own fears are going to dominate. God can't do his work through you. And that's what pride shuts down because it's all built around us. Self-sufficiency is another thing. This is something where it just, for today, so much of this is about self-sufficiency. I can do anything. Really. I can correct anything. I can build anything. I can do anything. I can be anything. Actually, I think that you are looking at yourself as being the source of your sufficiency. Look at what Jesus had said to this rich young ruler. He said to him, I'm taking away your sufficiency, your own self-sufficiency. You get rid of that so that you and I can actually have a properly arranged relationship. I want you to get rid of your sufficiencies, your own self-sufficiency. He wouldn't do it. Another one of the razors is where we just change the purpose and we live for oneself. We just decide, <clears throat> I am gonna, I'm the sacred one. Like uh, my whole, you know, being for me, it's about me and it's uh, sacred to me. This comes out today in spades. These are some of the things today that are right now destroying so many relational uh, things in our, in our communities and, and in our world is simply because of pride, self-sufficiency, and we just live for oneself. We change the real purpose of what we were made for, to live for God, to be God's, to treat him, not us God's, but to be his, to treat him sacredly. So how do you know? How do you begin to treat God sacredly? How do you begin to really consecrate properly as a Christian and live out your consecration. Well, you gotta get serious about these four things. First, fear the Lord. Then you have nothing else to fear, by the way, but fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. God is God. He's holy, he's just, he's all-powerful, he is uh, everywhere. God is literally uh, a complete being in perfection. We are not. He is the one to fear. Now this is not quaking your boots fear necessarily unless you are on the wrong side of the ledger. But this is to have this awe and respect of God. If you have not understood God's grace and understood God's perfection and you have not received Christ as your mediator with God, then certainly you need to quake with a different kind of fear because one day you will meet him face to face. But for us that are followers of Jesus Christ, there is a fear of God that holds him in awe and this, the highest respect. What he says we don't sit and just debate with him. We don't put ourselves into a position of where we don't give him full obedience. We get serious about the fear of the Lord. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When you have God in your life in such an awe and respect, then who is going to ever be able to be against you? This is God on your team. 
Another thing is never be careless about God's grace. Samson was. He was really careless. And and I see carelessness today in the Christian movement about God's grace. God's grace is not permission for you to not change. God's grace is the most powerful thing in the world and it will create change. It's the only thing that can change you. So God's grace is this powerful thing. And if you make it weak and you want to talk about it as something that's just in the line of, oh, well, God's just my grandfather in heaven, you know, flowing white hair and beard. And he's just, oh, he's for me no matter what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. He doesn't really care. Are you kidding? He's watching your life circumspectly. The Bible tells us to live circumspectly. Tells us to take serious our faith in in God and who he is. And don't be careless about the grace. Samson was. Judges 16.20 says, Then she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He weeks from his, his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. This guy, he's thinking, yeah, okay, I told her that, what, what she has to do, I, told, I, I gave her permission to make me weak and do that. And so he does and he wakes up and he's expecting to be able to function how he's always functioned. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And this is why I know he wasn't just some big burly man. Because they overcame him easily and quickly. He had lost them. Have you lost your consecration? Has your hair been shaved? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything else flows from it. He wasn't guarding his heart. He paid a huge price for it. He loses his consecration. God's not there when he needs him in the power that he needs him. He's saying, no, you've chosen this path. Now you get the pain of this path. There are times God's gonna give you grace in this and God gave him much grace. And then there are times that God says, passion's not there, man. Pain. Another thing to pay attention to is this. God's will must be done God's way. We're gonna reflect a little different story in this one. It's a story about Saul, King Saul. He was an interesting guy. This was a big man. He was bigger than most other men in Israel. And, uh, but he had a weak heart. He really did. And his obedience was always incomplete. He always was a negotiator with God. It was sort of like God says, here's what I want you to do, Saul. And then Saul would go and do it the way he wanted to. And so God had given him clear instructions on one given day. He goes out to battle. He wins the battle. And he brings back all the spoils because he wants the popularity of the people. He's confronted. And in that confrontation... He loses his kingship. God at that moment takes it away. David will get it later. But it was that moment that it changed. 
It says this, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You're gonna play roles in life. You're gonna, you, king of different things, you're gonna play roles. Those roles and the success and the beauty and the potential and the opportunity that those roles are gonna bring you are really subject to your consecration. And what are you consecrated to? What do you treat sacred in your life? Saul did not fear the Lord the way he needed to fear the Lord. He did not obey the Lord the way he needed to obey the Lord and he was a negotiator. And he goes out and he justified his own way of doing things. But God's will must be done God's way. When God wants you to obey, he means obey. When he says this is right and this is wrong and here's what's going to build you and here's what's going to destroy you. When he says go this way, not that way. When he says take this up, not that. He's absolutely serious. And you're deciding passion and pain. Another thing to be considered that you have to really get right on this is no one is beyond God's forgiveness. See, you and I, we've lost our consecration on different times in our life. Yes, we have. We have lost our consecration. There's been times where in that sacred front end of life, what we treat sacred, we have not treated sacred. And we've made some decisions, whether it's pleasing people or pleasing ourselves, or whether it is in some way treating other things more sacred than our Lord. We've done it. And that's why this last point is so incredibly important. No one is beyond God's forgiveness. So I've put in Psalm 51, which is the psalm that King David wrote after he had so, so broken his consecration. I mean, he had treated uh, God with, can we say, kind of really ugly uh, things here when he goes and through, he commits adultery and then he commits murder and he's in a position where, wow, God's gonna respond. So in the front of everybody, here's how it goes. Nathan the prophet appears and he, he's got the word from the Lord, go and confront. He gives a little thing about, you know, there was this rich man who had many sheep, but he had a neighbor, uh, a poor man who had one sheep. And yeah, that poor man looked after his sheep so well and nurtured that sheep. And then the rich man wanted that sheep, so he went and he took that sheep for himself. Isn't that interesting? And David is supposed to pronounce judgment on this. So David said, that man needs to pay back everything in spades, in multitudes of sheep back to this man. He's angry. David is so angry. And then all of a sudden, Nathan points his finger and says, David, king, you're the guy. What a moment. What a painful moment. 
exposed right in his own throne room where he's got his own little sovereign kingdom and he's, he's, he's in his room and this gets exposed and all of a sudden, you know, David has a big choice to be made. What's he gonna do about this? No one is beyond God's forgiveness. This is where David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't just get this idea that he could blow it. He understood God's grace if he himself was repentant, if he was a returner, if he was somebody that got serious about his own practices. And so David said, I am the man. And he went into a deep repentance. He lost the baby through it. The baby conceived in the adulterous relationship. And then he wrote this psalm. And listen to no one is beyond God's faithfulness or forgiveness. Have mercy on me, oh God. Have you broken your consecration? Here's your prayer. Have you treated other things other than the Lord Jesus in your life, Christian, as sacred? Here's your prayer. Have you treated good things as sacred? Then here's your prayer. Have mercy on me, oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Have you ever been haunted by it? Have you ever been haunted by it? You know, like when you, when you kind of wake up in the middle of the night and this thing's get on your mind. Have you had it haunt you in the quiet hours of, of when you're laying your head on your pillow at night and you're trying to uh, move into sleep, but you know, you know where you've compromised. You know what consecration you have broken that day. Here's your prayer. And against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you hear passion in this? He is moving from pain to passion. You're hearing the pain, but you're seeing a movement to passion. Passion for God and a God of grace and a God of love. And, and I have done this and I have compromised this. But he's moving back to passion. So you are writing your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. It was used in those days like a, a bitter cleansing. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He's not going to self-sufficiency. He's not going to pride. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed pain. Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. New start. Lord, you, you, it's only found with you. I need to return to consecration. I have a passion for you. It's been awakened again. Oh God, how could I ever be in this mess? I don't know, Lord, how I could but I was and I have, but I want back. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. There's humbleness. Only you can create a pure heart. I can't. I can't do it. Here's my heart. It's filled with this stuff. And now it's got all of this other conviction and condemnation in it and shame and guilt. Oh God, would you clean me from it? I need a pure heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make me stronger. My strength has to come from you, Lord. Doesn't come from my hair or my gifts. Doesn't come from my special talents. Comes from you. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me, catch this, a willing spirit to sustain me. Wow. When we have broken our consecration, this thing rings deep in your hearts when you read Psalm 51. You know, when we know that we have not treated with sacredness, our Lord and our commitment, and we've broken our own consecration to him. There's something in our heart, in a true repentance, goes so deep and deals with this in such a humble manner. And you'll find yourself being able to move back out of pain, back over to passion for God. And it will awaken in you those living joys that God wants you to have. Now let's finish up with Samson. They shave him. They put him in bronze shackles, feet and hands. Why? They didn't normally do that. They did it because of his reputation. This is Samson. They put him on this uh, treadmill thing to walk around and in the middle was two stones they were grinding grain. That's what he did. They have a great big feast one day. They bring all of the leaders. They have this big meeting house, big meeting house made of stone. And so they have this great big party that they have every year. And they've invited them all to come. And they, they said, hey, we need some entertainment here. Let's bring Samson. So they send a boy to go get Samson. A boy now. Thousands of men used to tremble when this guy walked through the streets. But he's been brought low. And now a young boy is leading him. Brings him into the great big banquet hall. See, something has begun to happen, though, see. Samson's hair had begun to grow. You know, you may go through a season where Satan just shaves your head bald. He's got you through pride or self-sufficiencies. Samson's hair begins to grow. He says to the boy, I want you to take me over by the main pillars, the supports that are holding up this building. There's thousands of people that are gathered in this place jammed into this place. They're here for the entertainment. They're here for the annual party. 
Samson's hair began to grow. You know, you'd think that somebody who's going to put him in these great big bronze shackles, hands and feet, you think if you think the Philistines would have figured it out, right? I mean, we shaved him. He's like a normal guy. And then they quit shaving him. I don't know about you, but that sounds really stupid to me. The hair begins to grow. He's got hair now. See, in a Nazarite vow, here's an interesting thing about a Nazarite vow. If you break your Nazarite vow, if they had broken it in that day, if they broke that Nazarite vow, here's how they restored themselves. They had to start all over. So they could restore themselves. His hair begins to grow. The devil can shave you pretty closely. You can clip off the beauty, the strength, your consecration. But there's still something living there. Even in the midst of being shaved. Even when you've lost that sacredness. There's something really still there. As a Christian, when your head gets shaved and you lose your consecration, I want you to hear this today. The roots are still alive. The grace and the regenerate work of the Lord is still in your heart. No matter how far, it doesn't matter how deep, it doesn't matter how wide or how high because his love is bigger than all of those things and his work is more powerful than even your way of treating it without sacredness. And his roots grew his hair. The roots of grace are still in the soul. And it won't be long that your head is going to have some hair again. You know, wells may be stopped for a little while, but the living water in a life that's put there by the grace of God will break out. It will come to the surface again. A tree may lose every leaf, which once hung on its branches, but its substance is in it. And when the spring comes and it smiles upon it, it's going to again grow. Eternal life may sleep, it may faint, but it cannot utterly die. It cannot do what? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing grace. How could it be eternal life if it could die? The hair, though it has been very closely shaved, it's going to grow again. The devil could shave away his flowing locks, but he could not, and they could not, cut out the roots. They're deeper than they can reach. Samson's hair grew again. Could he be himself again? I suggest to you, not just himself. I have watched this number of years with believers, but a better version. 
because of the humility and the humbleness that comes when we break our consecrations. The roots will grow again. So no matter where you are at in life, no matter whether consecration has been something you've, you've had go to the wrong things, you've had a season where you compromised and what was once sacred you didn't treat as sacred and your life didn't honor and, and you have not taken the opportunities that were there. You, didn't, you missed the opportunity of that moment that day. I can only hope that rich young guy woke up someday and went and found Christ again. I, it doesn't give us any indication that he did so it leaves it at a sad ending but for you as a believer (coughs) hair grows again Peter hair grows again Saul who becomes Paul the apostle hair grows again because the roots Oh, I want to challenge you today, believers. I want to challenge you that in this day and age, this is no time for weak Christianity. We have too many weak Christians. This is a time for consecration. This is a time for deeper consecration. Treat sacred what God has given you. Treat sacred what he has made of you. Treat sacred the things that he has placed in you. Treat sacred that so that you can get the best opportunities, take the greatest opportunities so that you live a life that is God-honoring, life-building, strengthening to this world, fulfilling the call of God in your life. So for each of us that have broken consecration, I remind you that you only become what God wants you to be by the grace of God. And I call you back to that same grace and be like David who cries out in a psalm, I know you're a God of grace. I know you're here in a repentant prayer. I have done great things that were wrong and evil. God, forgive me. God, I want you to restore me, restore joy. Bring me back. God, grow the hair again. God, don't cast me out. God, I need you. I want you. I am passionate for you. Lord, the pain has brought me back to passion. That passion for God is something in our life as believers that must not be lost. But when we do, thank God he cares enough to allow the pain so that we might correct our way. The saddest condition would be for you to lose your way and God not to allow you pain but let you sleep in comfort. Then wake up because the Philistines be upon you. Would you stand with me, please? I want you to build great things in this life. I want you to grab the best and greatest opportunities, but there's only one way that that's going to happen. It is going to be determined by what you are consecrated to.
what do you treat sacred? Do you treat the money as sacred? Are you treating other things as sacred? Even good things, we would say. Are you treating that as sacred? Your comfort is sacred. What do you treat as sacred? Because what you treat as sacred is actually the key to grabbing the greatest opportunity. You can be like that rich young ruler. All of a sudden, he misses the greatest opportunity. He's done a lot of good things. He's got a lot of good things, but his heart he has not managed. His heart is owned. And when he is challenged, he won't give up that ownership of his heart. He's willing to change his recipe, but he's not willing to change what he's making. Father, we thank you that with you there's always a new opportunity. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that you have ears that still turn to repentant voices, even of your own children of faith in your son. That say, oh Lord, we have bought into a bill of goods that are worldly. We have made decisions that are not healthy. Lord, we have not taken the best opportunities. Lord, what are we missing? We're missing, we're missing some things in our relationships, in our relational world. We're missing some things in what you have called us to do in this world. We're missing some things in the economics, Lord. We're missing things that, are, that we should see, and Lord, we're not even seeing it, but wake us up today because the Philistines be upon us, oh God. And may our hearts return to you. And may you bring us back in a consecration and a repentance that says, oh Lord, I'm wandering no more. But especially I thank you that no one is beyond your forgiveness. So today, Lord, clean start. I'm getting out of the muck and the mire. I'm getting out of this idea of failure and past and that I can't get out. And I'm just, I'm just taking it, Lord, right now like King David did and saying, no, it changes today. By your grace, by your goodness. So Lord, bring restoration to our hearts in this day and age in which we live and may our lives truly be that which is passionate for our Lord and our faith in him and that that passion spills over into us acquiring the greatest opportunities of this life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.